This is the Mouth of the South, Jimmy Hart, and you're listening to the VOC Wrestling Nation Worldwide on VOCNation.com, baby. VOC Nation Radio Network, the voice of choice, Bruce Wirt, coming at you for a very special podcast on the uh, eve of Thanksgiving. And it's the end of November, so that means Survivor Series is coming up for all of you WWE fans. And I look back at my wrestling fandom, and Survivor Series is one of those events that just has a a, a warm place in my heart. And I remember when teams of five were striving to survive all the way back into the 1980s. Speaking of the 80s, I do a podcast right here on VOC Nation. Every Wednesday it drops with Killer Ken Resnick. Ken, of course, was a backstage interviewer in the WWF and the AWA back from uh, 1983 until he left uh, around 1988. So we look back at the 80s. We dive deep on many, many issues, and we kind of jog your memory banks and take you behind the scenes for a lot of what happened during that time period. So check that out right here on VOC Nation Radio Network. What I'm doing today, though, in honor of uh, late November and Thanksgiving and being thankful, is uh, I have a very special interview that I was able to conduct with WWE Hall of Famer, the mouth of the South, Jimmy Hart. Jimmy is one of my longtime friends. Uh, I would not be doing this today, and VOC Nation wouldn't be as successful as it is without Jimmy Hart. And Jimmy took me under his wing when I first got into the wrestling business. I'll say I was doing sports radio and I got to work with Jimmy Hart at some conventions and he kind of taught me uh, the ropes and introduced me to some people, both him and Bill After. I'm eternally grateful for what he's meant to uh, just what I've been able to do here. So a big thanks to Jimmy. I've also been able to use Jimmy for various events that I've done on the corporate side of things, allowing uh, wrestling fans, you know, business owners and business people that are wrestling fans to be able to interact with Jimmy, ask questions. And what I want to do now is bring some of that to you. So just recently, I hosted a Q&A session with Jimmy Hart for a corporate audience. And there's a mix of questions that I asked as well as the group there asked Jimmy, and I'm going to present that to you right here on VOC Nation. Lots of great stuff about Jimmy's start in the wrestling business, Jimmy's time in the music business, and just what he's doing. I mean, Jimmy Hart is still very, very active at the tender age. I think he's 77 years old. So sit back, relax, or be in the car, whatever you're doing. Just listen. Make sure you subscribe to VOC Nation Radio Network on your favorite podcast app. Just search VOC Nation Radio Network and hit the subscribe button. We like when you rate and review us on iTunes. That helps the network to grow. Remember, not just Wrestling with History with Ken Resnick and I on Wednesdays. We also have In the Room with Brady Hicks from Pro Wrestling Illustrated and former WCW star The Maestro on Tuesdays. Shelly Martinez does a show, former WWE 
Diva. She was Ariel in WWE and Salinas in TNA. She drops on Wednesdays. We have uh, Stro uh, Maestro also does a WCW retro podcast on Thursdays. Wes Briscoe and Big Ace drop usually on the weekends. And Sassy Steffi with Talkin' Sass. She has tons of great guests, and she drops on Thursdays. So lots of great programming on VOC Nation. Please make sure you subscribe and support us. It's free, so that's the only thing you have to do to support us and keep the good programming going. So other than that, we're going to take a quick break and hear a word from our sponsors and then wwe hall of famer the mouth of the south jimmy hart it's me it's me it's the d-o-double-g the road dog jesse james and by my side as always is that b-a-double-d-a-double crooked letter badass billy gut together we are the new age outlaws and you're listening to the voc nation and if you ain't down with that he's got two words for you suck it VOC Nation provides live daily streaming shows where fans have the ability to interact with the hosts and guests by phone call, email, and Twitter. VOC Nation hosts include the legendary Ken Resnick, who you probably remember from the AWA and WWE, former WCW performer The Maestro, Wes Briscoe, who you probably remember from Impact, Brady Hicks, who you remember from Pro Wrestling Illustrated, former WWE and TNA star Shelly Martinez, and former Philly radio personality Bruce Wirt. VOC Nation's two most popular shows are Wrestling with History, featuring Ken Resnick and Bruce Wirt, streaming live on Wednesday nights at 9.30 Eastern, and of course, In the Room, featuring Pro Wrestling Illustrated's Brady Hicks and WCW alum The Maestro. And by the way, both of these shows take callers live during the show. What are you waiting for? Go listen live right now at VOCNation.com and subscribe to all of our podcasts by searching for VOC Nation Radio Network on your favorite podcast app. Oh, and follow them on Twitter, too, at VOC Nation. But uh, one of the people that I met and uh, became friends with uh, is the mouth of the South, Jimmy Hart, uh, yeah. WWE Hall of Famer. And um, we, we just connected and we started to do a lot of work together, traveled together, um, we got some pretty cool stories that we can share with you today, and um, we're going to let you interact and ask questions, and Jimmy will do his best to answer them. Um, stay away from anything controversial, but anything in the past is fair game, and uh, Jimmy has always been very transparent with our partners when we bring them out. So without further ado, I want to turn it over to uh, to Jimmy, and Jimmy, maybe we can open by talking about your journey into the wrestling business from the music business. I love it. First of all, I miss being in Vegas with everybody this year, so maybe next year or the year after, hopefully. Um, also, Bruce, I'll let you know, too, I've got uh, a lot of 8 by 10s that I want to make sure that we can uh, uh, get to you, sign, if anybody wants any of the stuff signed, we'll take care of it and get it to you so you can give it to your, everybody that's on the call today. But um, first of all, I do watch the current product. I watched uh, NXT and I watched SmackDown. I watched Raw. All the talent is phenomenal. It really is. These younger kids are great. They really are. Mixed in with some of the older superstars too. But uh, like I said, Bruce and I have a long background together. Uh, about the wrestling business. We've had so much fun back in the past, and we can talk about that later. But um, I started out, uh, I was born in Jackson, Mississippi. Uh, my mother and I moved to um, Memphis, Tennessee when I was about 12 years old. She raised me, basically, and we had a, a good little run down there. I, I uh, 
started my music career down there. I was part of a group called the Gentries. You can look it up on YouTube. We have a million seller record. A lot of people say if Jimmy Hart's lips are moving, he's lying, but I'm telling you the truth on this. You can check it out. It was called Keep On Dancing. We did all the tours with the Beach Boys and Sonny and Cher and Steppenwolf and so many of those groups back in the 60s. We did Hullabaloo, Shindig, American Bandstand, Where the Action Is. We did all the Dick Clark stuff with him. And uh, one day, when I got off one of our tours, after about a six-year tour with the Gentries, a guy by the name of Jerry the King Lawler. Now, Jerry Lawler was a famous wrestler back in Memphis, Tennessee, back in the, back in the day. And, of course, later on, he went to be with the, the WWE, of course, and did commentating with JR. Uh, but we uh, kind of hooked up together. I helped him on a wrestling album. And um, we became really, really, really good friends back then. And... Um, we had a great run. We did all the stuff with the late, great Andy Kaufman. I'd managed Andy Kaufman for a couple of years when he was in Memphis. And you probably remember Andy Kaufman. He was a comedian uh, that was on a, a hit TV show. And it was such a great thrill for me to be with Andy back in the day because, like I said before, who knew where this was going to take any of us back in the day. But finally, Jerry Lawler and Andy wound up on David Letterman's show. And... Uh, that's when you had the slap heard around the world back then. It hit breaking yep. news all over the world back in the day. And so um, it, it kind of really got us started down there. People back then, TV was kind of local back in the areas. You know, New York had its wrestling. Tennessee had its wrestling matches. And, of course, the Carolinas was Ric Flair territory. Georgia was kind of the American dream, Dusty Rhodes. So everything was kind of regional back then. But uh, this kind of put us on the front of the map back in that back in that era. Jimmy, but uh, Jerry I, and I became good friends. I was there for about six years. And all of a sudden, I had a phone call from New York City, a guy named Howard Finkel, who was a great wrestling um, uh, MC up there, commentator, ring announcer, was looking at some tapes one day. And he saw this tape for a guy named Jimmy Hart back in Memphis, Tennessee. So he took it to Vince. Vince saw the tape. They brought me into New York. So when I went to New York, I was on the very first WrestleMania. To this day, people say, what's the most important WrestleMania you were part of? WrestleMania 12, WrestleMania 10, WrestleMania 3. WrestleMania 3 was great, but WrestleMania 1 was the most important one because if that had not been successful, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you guys now. So like I said before, we, um, we've had a great run in the wrestling business. You know, I've managed some of the people I've managed. If you're a wrestling fan, is King Kong Bundy, Greg the Hammer Valentine, Hulk Hogan, uh, Brett the Hitman Hart, Jim the Million Dollar Light, Man Foundation, huh? Million Dollar Man, right? Yeah, Million Dollar Man. It's Ted, Dibi I'll get to that. Ted DiBiase. We had the tag right. team up there with him and Arwen R. Scheister. But we've had so many people, not counting the people that I'd managed in Memphis, which was the Iron Sheik and Jerry Lawler and Handsome Jimmy Valiant. But you know, it's so funny about the wrestling business and the music business. It seems like everybody in wrestling wanted to be in music. Everybody in music wanted to be in wrestling. When I first went to New York to appear on the first WrestleMania, I got a chance to meet a guy by the name of Dave Wolf. Dave Wolf was the manager to Cindy Lauper back then. And so uh, Dave Wolf was going to cut a wrestling album back then. So he said, Jimmy, do you have any wrestling songs or any songs you'd like to put on a wrestling album? And I said, yeah, I've got a little song I wrote called Eat Your Heart Out, Rick Springfield because Rick Springfield was really kind of hot back then as far as not hot, hot that I liked him, but I mean hot by being on a, a TV show. Right. And so um, we wrote a few songs for our first wrestling album and that led to the second wrestling album. We wrote a couple on that and we kind of got into the click 
of the rock wrestling situation that was happening in New York at the time. So it's kind of funny how your career started in music, went to wrestling, and then wound up back in music and wrestling again. But that uh, led up to how uh, Bruce and I first met, and uh, which was a story on that. Bruce, I'll let you tell me a little bit how we first met during your radio show. Yeah, so, and this is, um, this is one of my favorite memories of all time. So we were doing, um, we were covering uh, a wrestling convention. It was actually in Philadelphia at uh, somewhere near the Philadelphia airport. And uh, we had Jimmy in as a guest of ours. And uh, Jimmy had an event the next day in Ohio. And it, it, wasn't, uh, it wasn't in Toledo where Telesystem is, but I think it was somewhere around Columbus. So Jimmy, Jimmy's in there for the event. Um, meanwhile, there's a hurricane coming up the eastern seaboard. So one of the rare hurricanes that, that affect uh, that area. And uh, Jimmy said, I'm going to lose out on this, um, on, you know, essentially a payday. And a lot of, a lot of you, um, I don't know if you realize or not, but uh, when a lot of the wrestlers retire, they, um, they basically work doing autograph shows and conventions, and they commit to these different local promoters to do events around the country. So this particular event's in Ohio, the hurricane's coming through, Jimmy didn't know what to do because his flight was canceled. And uh, so I looked at my, my co-host at the time and I said, oh, I guess we can drive to Ohio, right? <laughs> so that's what we did. We got in the car and we drove, uh, what was it, about eight, eight nine hours <laughs> across Pennsylvania into Ohio. And uh, one of the funniest stories is we all ended up uh, having to share a hotel room. And uh, in the middle of the night, my co-host, uh, Albert, reached or he left the room to go and make a phone call to his girlfriend and uh, he came back in this is probably like two or three in the morning it's pitch black and uh, Jimmy jumped up and almost murdered him <laughs> kung fu karate and two other Japanese words right <laughs> but uh, but uh, and plus the promoter put a lot of pressure on me it was about missing a payday too but he goes Jimmy you've got to be here for the show make Foley's there, Greg Valentine's there, Brutus the Barber Beefcake's there. We've got so many of the wrestlers that are there. You're going to disappoint us if we don't make it. We'll have to maybe give us some money back. I said maybe one ticket back, right, to see Jimmy Hart. But uh, so, but Bruce was my hero. We got in the car, buddy. We we stopped by Denny's before we left. We had our, our, good, our good traveling meal just in case we got stranded. And, buddy, we went through wind and rain and the storms, and we all made it there. And then we got there and we only had one room that promoter set up for us. And so we all, we kind of did, we crashed the room. It was all three of us in one room. So, but uh, we didn't sleep in the same bed, by the way, either. So we all flipped for the bed. I think Bruce won the bed as usual. Um, I think I had slept in the chair and I think your other guy was sleeping on the floor at the time. But, but uh, that morning, well, that night late, about two or three in the morning, I guess he snuck out to make a phone call, right? I don't know why he didn't sneak out to do that for. But when he did, when he came back in, it scared us to death, man. We thought we were being broken into. But uh, that was, um, after that, Brett, you know, Bruce and I became really, really good friends. And you could see the wall behind him. He's got all those action figures up behind there. I think there's two or three of mine up on the wall that every time I'd come up there, he always go, can you get me an action figure or a T-shirt or, or whatever? And so, but he's always been a great fan. And that led to our relationship through all these years. And, uh, and here we are today. 
We're still, now, we're still kicking it. The other thing is, Jimmy, in, in the wrestling business, um, sometimes when these promoters are booking people, uh, they don't always spend uh, a fortune for hotels and airfares. So uh, a lot of the wrestlers, especially when they're doing these conventions, the margins are slim and they're taking two or three leg flights. So a lot of you telecom people know all about two and three uh, hop flights. But one time Jimmy was in town in Philadelphia and uh, he called me up. Uh, he was uh, standing at the uh, the hotel that he was supposed to stay in. A four-star hotel, remember? You looked it yes, up. Yes, four-star on Hotwire. And he said, listen, uh, I'm at this hotel, but I'm not staying here unless I have a gun. Uh, there's there's hey, several You booked me for that. <laughs> that, was, that was a hotel you put me in. Let's tell this true story to this. <laughs> Let's just let's not let's not worry about the details, Jimmy. Send a picture of oh, it. No, let's do worry about it. I knew we were in trouble when we called up at it, and I said, Bruce, there's the phone is hanging off the wall. It was an outdoor phone and it had been ripped off the wall. And I said, Look, the uh, Coke machine the whole door is wide open with no cokes or anything in it. And he said, Well, I think everything's okay though. And you know, sometimes it's not as bad inside as it looks outside. And I said, I hope you're right. We stopped, we went in, and I knew something was wrong when the air conditioner on the outside of the room was completely out of the window. You know, and they had a cardboard cutout in the window. And I said, Bruce, I don't think we should stay here, or I should stay here. So didn't we go over to your house after that? Yeah, so Jimmy stayed with my stayed at my house. I had a deaf cat at the time. Uh, and uh, Oh my gosh, yes. So I don't think he got, he might've been not, he might've not gotten sleep out of fear at the hotel, but um, I think he had a crying uh, deaf cat outside of his room the entire night at my house. So probably wasn't the best night of sleep of his life. He kept following me everywhere. The cat, I'd go in the bathroom. The cat was outside the door. Wow, wow. Okay, okay. And I kept telling Bruce, I said, Bruce, is this cat okay? Oh, he's deaf. I went, oh, well, that's great. And so, but it was a good cat though. But uh but I remember that now, Bruce. But you're the one who put me in that hotel. Let's tell it like it is. Completely. Details aren't important, Jimmy. Details aren't important. Hey, Jimmy, but, uh, you mentioned uh, Cindy Lawford. Were you involved in the video with her and Lou Albano? Uh, no. You know what? Uh, that took place before I got to New York. Oh, it did. But, uh, I thought that video really, you know, was pretty oh, interesting to the wrestling it, crowd. It did. It kicked off the wrestling business, the rock wrestling thing for us. But they did that before we got there. But uh, Cindy did do some stuff on our album. Uh, Rick Derringer, remember a song called yep. Rock and Roll? Sure yeah. played guitar on all the stuff that we did. And I think we cut at the Hit Factory in New York. Uh, and then on our second album, Rick, uh, Rick Derringer was really a major part of that. I'd written three songs for that. One for the demolition that Rick sang and played on. Uh, one for uh, uh, called Crank It Up. That was one of the groups up there. And then uh, the Honky Tonk Man's Greatest Hits, A Hunk, A Hunk, A Honky Love. So they played on that one for me. So we had a good run with the music, but uh, being connected with Dave Wolf back in the time, because I was really kind of out of the music business then and doing the wrestling, but he was full-fledged into the music business. So he opened a lot of doors for us with that album. Jimmy, uh, you mentioned the Andy Kaufman uh, stuff that you guys did in, in New York. And tell everybody how, how important that was because, you know, the, the dominant promotion in New York was uh, the WWF, which was owned by Vince McMahon Sr. This is before uh, the Vince that everybody knows was, uh, was in control. And Memphis was a local territory down in, in the, uh, the Mid-South area that was only on TV down there. So to have the opportunity to be on New York TV for a Memphis promotion was huge, wasn't it? 
it was big time. And like I said before, our territory in Memphis, we had to, at the Mid-South Coliseum on Monday night, Tuesday night, we'd go all the way, I don't mean flying, driving back then to Louisville, Kentucky, at the Louisville Gardens. Wednesday night, we'd go to Evansville, Indiana. And then uh, Friday, back down to maybe Tennessee for a small show. Friday night, Tupelo, Mississippi, the home of Elvis Presley, originally where he was born. And then Saturday morning, live TV every Saturday morning for an hour and a half. And then when that was over, we'd get in our car and drive all the way to Nashville, Tennessee, that night for a live show. And then when that was over, I'd drive all the way back to Memphis and start the whole routine over again, seven days a week. So that was our territory back then. Um, but it was a great era. It was a great territory, you know, for us. But all the other territories did the same thing. Same thing if you were in New York, you know, they were probably in Albany and they had to go to Scranton, Pennsylvania, and then uh, Philadelphia. So they had that whole loop up there for them. Same thing in Charlotte, uh, five or six different cities a week down there. The same thing in Georgia, five or six different places they would go. Texas had the same thing with the Terry Funk and Dory Funk up there. The Von Erichs were way up around Houston up there too. So that's how wrestling really was before Vince had the dream and the idea of running one major territory worldwide, which was, thank God he did that, or we wouldn't have wrestling now, you know? So while we're talking about Memphis and Tennessee, uh, you have a very famous story with Elvis Presley and Johnny Cash and uh, being in the same house and there was a firearm involved. And I've heard you say this in a few of the things that, that we've done together. Can you tell everybody that story? Well, it wasn't Johnny Cash, it was Jerry Lee Lewis. Jerry Lee Lewis. But, but right. here's what happened, two things. Uh, this was after our gentry, you know, you, you have a great run and after you don't really have hits, you change record labels. We met a, a, name, a man by the name of Marty Lacker. Now, Marty Lacker, if you look up the Elvis books, he was part of, him and George Klein, a good friend of ours, was part of the Memphis Mafia. They were kind of the sidekicks to Elvis back in the day. And so Marty came to us through George Klein and said, look, Jimmy, I know y'all don't have a record deal now. I think I can get y'all a, a shot on Capitol Records. The label the Beatles were on. We're in, we're in. And so um, uh, we went in to cut the single one night. But before we went to cut the single, uh, Marty had to go to buy Elvis's house. So I picked Marty up and Marty said, look, I've got to go by Elvis to give him something, uh, some paperwork. So we went over to Elvis's house. So I was sitting in the car out front. He goes, no, come on in. So if you go into Elvis's house, as soon as you walk in the door in Graceland, you'll see a big steps that come down right in front of you. To the right, there's the living room. To the left, there's the dining room or vice versa. I can't remember now, it's been so many years. And so he asked, I believe, the, the, the lady that was working with him to go tell Elvis I'm here, Marty's here. So she went up and told Elvis, Elvis came down and he had a, this big black bathrobe, bathrobe on, no sunglasses, jet black hair, he looked great. He came down and said, Marty, where are your boys going? I'm standing there, froze on the spot, you know, I'm scared to say anything, you know, I'm going, oh my God. And so he came up, where y'all boys going? He goes, well, we're going over, cut a record on Jimmy. He goes, well, good luck. He said, Marty, when it's over, give me a call. Goes back upstairs. I could barely sing in the session that night. I was in shock. And so we went to the studio over at Stax Records. And uh, while we were over there, we uh, had cut the single and everything else for that night. And then I picked Marty up. We came home, we went back home, you know, took him back and everything, but I could, still couldn't remember uh, I mean, I, I was in so shock of getting to meet Elvis. And then the second time I got to see Elvis, it wasn't a pleasant sight because he had passed away then, years later. And George Klein, since they were best buddies, got me up to the uh, front of the line, like maybe the 25th or 25th, per sixth person to go see Elvis. And I remember seeing him in the casket. Uh, I remember his hands were folded. 
but he had a beautiful ring on that said TCB, taking care of business. And I tried to keep that thought in my head the whole time I walked around the whole thing. And those are the two times I got to meet Elvis. Jerry Lewis, that was a different story instead of Johnny Cash. What happened on that? It went with the fire alarm. What happened was um, we were at Sun Studio uh, over at Phillips Studio. Really, it happened at Phillips Studio, uh, which Sam Phillips was the man who owned Sun, but sold that studio uh, and purchased the con sold the contract to Elvis. With that, he bought another studio, a street over called Phillips. We were there one night recording, and Jerry Lewis came in and he had one of his wives there. I think, I think her name was Jaron, I believe, back then. And Mr. Kingsley was a newspaper writer back in the day. And so Mr. Kingsley was there, and Mr. Kingsley said, well, Jaron, that sure is a big purse you got on your arm there. And for some reason, Jerry Lee got offended by that and was really upset over it, and he pulled a gun out. And he said, what did you say? And I, had to, I went, oh, my God. So I ran upstairs, uh, got Sam Phillips, and Sam Phillips came down, took the gun away, and said, Jerry, don't you dare shoot that gun off in here. I don't think he would have done anything. Any, don't you shoot that gun off in here. He said, they'll close my studio down. But that's how much they love Sam Phillips. And because uh, he was their producer, Jerry Lee, on Great Balls of Fire and all those records, and Johnny Cash and Carl Perkins and all those guys. But uh, that was the closest I came to Elvis and uh, Jerry Lee Lewis back in the day. And Jimmy, uh, one more, and then we'll open it up for uh, anybody that has a question. So everybody think about uh, if you have a question for Jimmy, uh, what, what we probably should do is just uh, press the button to, uh, to raise your hand. I, uh, Seth, <laughs> Seth, you can help me out with the best way to do it. You're the technologist here. While you're thinking about uh, how to manage the questions, Jimmy, talk about WrestleMania three. So 1987, uh, March in Pontiac, Michigan. And before that, you know, as, as we said, wrestling was very territorial. Vince uh, had this dream to bring it and make it a worldwide promotion. But everything was, uh, was really a gamble based on WrestleMania three. That was Hulk Hogan, Andre the Giant. Going into that event, did, did anybody think it was possible for a wrestling event to, to sell 90,000 tickets and throw millions of dollars on pay-per-view? Well, first of all, it wasn't for Vince and his dreams and, and him making all this come true. There'd be a lot of wrestlers that wouldn't be wrestling anymore and a lot of guys that wouldn't have their homes or their cars or their families that are, or the kids have been able to go into college and everything. So kudos to him. He's been unbelievable. But um, WrestleMania 1 was – it was a, sh a shot in the dark for WrestleMania 1, but he took a chance and made it work. A lot of people tried to talk him out of it. But WrestleMania 3, here we go now. We're jumping to WrestleMania 3. He has a dream of going to Detroit, Michigan, uh, the Silverdome, outdoors, 93,000 people if we sold it out. Everybody once again thought, this will never work. It'll never happen. 93,000 people. It, this, this is too much, you know. But never doubt Vince McMahon. He had a dream, buddy, and he stuck to it. So, you know, we came in a month ahead. We did all kind of radio, TV, promotion, did everything. He put an unbelievable card together for it. You know, we had Aretha Franklin singing the national anthem, you know, just, just for starters. And so uh, that was a big, you know, big thing right off the bat. And uh, it, it just, um, it was so thrilling to be there. You know, we had to get these big cards, golf cart looking things to take us to the ring. It was so far. And, you know, the matches were great. I was really thrilled about it because I had three matches on that card. I had uh, the match with the um, honky tonk man against Jake Roberts. And in Jake's corner, there was Alice Cooper, Jimmy Hart and Honky Tonk Man's corner. Then we had the Hart Foundation 
with Danny Davis, the referee, against the British Bulldogs and Tito Santana. And then, last but not least, we had Adrian Adonis against Rick uh, against um, Roddy Roddy Piper. And so, and a hair match versus uh, a career match. And so, uh, I had three big matches on that. So, I was nervous wreck just trying to remember everything I was going to do and, you know, get into the ring. And I changed jackets on every match, too. And, and two of them were back to back, you know. So, I was kind of like Houdini on that. But, but to have 93,000 plus people outdoors and no social media back then, right, no social right. media like it is now, you know. And so, it was just, it was undertaking that, that Vince had a dream for it and it came true. Awesome. Awesome stuff. Seth, do we have any questions from any of the, the uh, people in the audience? I've, I've got this. It's Randy. I don't know if we, there's a system. I would, a couple things. Number one, this is a wrestling fan, right? Yeah, I'm a big wrestling fan, but I want to say, first off, we got the trophy for the, you know, winning the third quarter and definitely the best trophy we've ever received. <laughs> it's uh, it's going on my, my workshop next to my Ric Flair. Uh, That's awesome. Uh, yeah, quick background, uh, uh, Mr. Hart, that uh, that WrestleMania three, um, I told my parents that I had to watch. We had to get the pay-per-view back then. This was, you know, the, it was like the first time you could get pay-per-view. And um, I I think I mowed about 50 lawns trying to raise money to get the WrestleMania. <laughs> only to find out after we got it that my dad had one of the illegal boxes and it was free the whole time. <laughs> Uh, he still owes me money back for that, but uh, but uh, I just want to say thank you. It's an honor to meet you virtually, and uh, thank y'all, Kelly System, for putting this together. It's uh, it, this is this is great. So look nice questions. I do have a couple of wrestling questions. But I'll let the group go first because before you get into uh, wrestling questions, this is Matt. This Randy's your biggest fan, and I had a chance to meet you in person, Jimmy. I don't know if you remember. Uh, I don't know, guys. Is it two years now? Uh, I don't board. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. did yes. board, uh, and when I handed him the signed eight by eleven that you had, I've never seen him happier. So yeah. make it a part yeah. of it. Yeah. So, well, you know, I, I was telling Bruce earlier too. Or um, what I'm going to do is, everybody wants an eight by ten picture. I've got some some new ones and some mixed up with some of the uh, classics and everything else. Once he gets everybody's name, I'll sign them, get them back to Bruce, and he can get them to y'all guys. That'd be awesome. Great. Thank, Thank you. you. We love y'all, man. Thank Mr. you. Mr. Hart, I do have a question. Yes, sir. Um, speaking of Vince McMahon, you, you read about stuff, and apparently, I just want to confirm, he came, he came from pretty humble beginnings. In fact, there's stuff out there that he was actually raised in a uh, in a trailer park. Is that indeed true? I, I just want you to confirm that or, or disprove that, I guess. Who, who you say, Vince? Yes, yeah, Vince McMahon. No, you know what? He was um, – his father – uh, his grand, well, his father up there, you know, he had the, uh, the territory before Vince did. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but Vince, let me tell you what, Vince worked hard, just like Shane, you know, when Shane came to the business up there, Shane helped set the ring up. He refereed. Uh, I think he did everything his dad did because I think Vince back in the day, it was a special referee for certain matches. He really yeah. learned the business you know, was really handed to him and his daddy really depended on him. But, if, if you've never seen Vince do the commentating and commentary on a lot of those matches, he is phenomenal back in the day. Yeah. I love the stuff he did with him and Gorilla Monsoon and him and Bobby Heenan and, uh, it just, and him and Jesse the body too, but all of them were great together. But I think nothing was really handed to Vince back today. He learned everything the hard way, like I said, from that's what I was, Yeah, that's what I alluded to. He came, he came from very humble beginnings. From what I mean, Gene Okerlund. 
Yeah. Yeah. Mean Gene was up in Minnesota back in the day and still to this day, I think is the best ticket seller in the business. I mean, just when, you know, he sold tickets without screaming and yelling and everything, but we had such a great crew back in that era up there. Who else? Randy, you had a question, so why don't you jump in and uh, maybe you'll motivate somebody else to... Oh, yeah, I'll ask. I mean, I've got a, yeah. plenty of wrestling questions, but like if, if, of all the, the wrestlers that you manage, who would you say if, if you, it was a bar fight or street fight? If, I mean, personally, I'm, I'm a big Ric Flair fan, but of all the wrestlers that you manage, who's, who's the toughest? Is it, is it, I would think like a Greg the Hammer Valentine, a Mike Rotunda, but who, do you, who would win the fight? Ming and Barbarian. I managed them. <laughs> Trust me, Ming and Barbarian, I promise you. I mean, I'm sure all of the guys could hold their own, but uh, Ming and Barbarian were definitely uh, unbelievable to deal with. I mean, they were great. I mean, great to us, but I mean, if you ever needed somebody with you, if you ever got went to a bar and got in a fight, that'd be the people I'd rather have with me than anybody, you know. Isn't, isn't and all, all the guys were great. Isn't there a story, Jimmy, of, uh, of Mang Haku? Uh, he's had a couple names over the years, but biting off somebody's nose in a bar fight? Is that, is that a legend or is that true? Well, you know what? Sometimes they get built up. Sometimes they're true. I didn't go to a lot of bars, I'll be honest with you, so I was never able to participate in them. But usually Kurt Henning was always the one to start everything on everybody and then kind of get out of the way and all the trouble happened from that. We love Kurt. But, um, but um, there's been a lot of stories where – Back in the day when Ming had a few little brewskis in him, you know, three or four policemen couldn't even, you know, bring him in or anything else. You know, he was a very tough guy. Both of them were very tough. Yeah. I, think, I feel like the Barbarian was, was hurt because of the, the, there was the Road Warriors, and the Road Warriors were, you know, roughly the same size and, you know, looked the same. So I, I don't feel like he always got the, the best shake at it. Yeah, well, you know, Hawk and Animal, Animal, what a great team back in the day, managed by a good friend of mine, Paul Ellering. Of course, I used to manage Paul when I was in Memphis wrestling and everything. But uh, uh, like I said, the Road Warriors, both those guys were very tough too. But uh, I think they knew when to hold them and when to fold them, you know, when they'd go out and everything else. For some reason, I don't know why, but it seems like the littlest guys always wanted to fight the biggest guys when you were in a bar or something, whether you're in a restaurant eating or whatever. I mean, you got these big wrestlers coming in and all of a sudden – for some reason, the littlest guy is always going to fight these guys. It was crazy to me. I thought, what are they, what are they smoking? This is crazy. Any other questions for Jimmy? Anybody um, want to jump in? Go ahead, Jeff. I saw you on mute. Yep. Yeah, thanks. So I, I, was, one, I was a big uh, wrestling fan growing up, so I appreciate the time here. Oh, that's great. Uh, what I guess it, you know, growing up, we always heard it's all fake and everything. But um, at the end of the day, was everyone still like friends, or were you guys at battle still after a match? Well, you know, it was all entertainment. Still is entertainment. But right. uh, you know, sometimes things do get a little heated. You know what I mean? And, and there's an aftermath sometimes. But uh, back in our our time, you know, I was so thrilled when I walk into a a, a building that we were wrestling in. Think about this. In my, I call that my office. In my office, we'd walk into the dressing room. There was Andre the Giant playing cards with Arnold Scullin. Over to my right, there's the honky-tonk man tuning his guitar. Then you look over a little further down the road, you got the Iron Sheik and Nikolai Volkov rehearsing the Russian national anthem. You've got, you've got the Rougeau brothers playing cards with each other. 
You've got the British Bulldogs feeding Matilda. You've got the Nasty Boys going over their match with whoever they're going to fight with. And when they got in the ring, they forgot everything they talked about because Knobs and Sacks were so wild and crazy. But it's just such a thrill for me to be there. But, but nine times out of ten, most of us always just always got along because, you know, it's like, anything, it's like when you see a quarterback playing in football. The reason they've got all the rules now not hurt the quarterback because everybody knows you make money – by, all, by going to play these teams. And, you know, if Drew Brees is out and Tom Brady's out and you've got uh, all these other football players that aren't going to play. Now, of course, now with the pandemic, there's not a lot of people in the crowds, nobody really. But, uh, but back in the day, you want to draw the bigger house that you draw, the more you made, you know. And, and so that's why we always kind of really tried to protect everybody if you really could, you know. Jimmy, with um, you, you know, Jeff had a great question about the wrestlers being friends, but just going back to WrestleMania three and the promoters, uh, was it dangerous to be? There was an unspoken rule in in uh, the old school territory days of wrestling that you didn't cross into each other's territory it was it's like cable companies back in the day you didn't you don't cross into each other's uh footprint so was it was it ever dangerous to perform in a territory that was like if vince mcmahon was going into harley races territory in kansas city or Vern gagne's territory in minnesota <laughs> Did wrestlers ever fear that there'd be retribution from, uh, from the people that ran that territory? Well, you know, back in the day when, the, when Vince was kind of running the whole everywhere, you know, mm -hmm. a lot of times we go into different areas. There were a lot of uh, chatter about, hey, you better not come here, you better do this. But I think they finally realized, look, what Vince is doing is good for everybody. Running bigger houses, the conditions were going to be so much better. So finally, after a while, Harley Race, everybody kind of jumped on board and realized, hey, look, why well, fight it? It's changing because I think a lot of people knew. And, they're and it's hard to run a territory back in the day when you're a small territory. You had to bring people in. They had to move their families down there for five or six months, put their kids in school. Or if they didn't bring their family with them, they were going to do without seeing their family for, you know, six or seven weeks at a time you know what I mean and so what Vince did was really a great thing for everybody and I think everybody really realizes it now you know I'll tell you a funny story back we were in uh, Poughkeepsie New York we used to run Poughkeepsie New York where all of our TV was done when I first went to New York and I remember our first action figures came out those uh, LJN action figures right and uh, uh, Lou Albano came up to me and he goes Jimmy Jimmy come here come here don't tell anybody but my action figure and your action figure I just found out from the company is the hottest two selling action figures out of everybody's I went what great so didn't say nothing to nobody about it so that night going back to New York to fly out the next day going to Canada in the car it was me Bobby Heenan Mr. Fuji and Fred Blassie so Bobby in the car Bobby goes you know what Lou came up to me tonight and said my figure and his figure was the hottest selling action figure going and all of a sudden, Mr. Fuji goes, wait a minute. He goes, Lou told me the same thing, that my figure was <laughs> the same. And then finally, Fred Blassie goes, that pencil neck geek, he told me my figure and his figure was the hottest selling figure. And Mr. Fuji goes, oh, when I see him tomorrow, I get even with him. So I don't know what happened to him, but I'm sure he got even with him. But that, that's how much fun we had back in the day. It wasn't, nobody was arguing. We weren't jealous over each other. I wasn't jealous over who Mr. Fuji managed or, 
or who Lou got a hold of or, or Bobby, you know, Bobby was great. You know, who Bobby was managing, we all really got along. You know, there's enough money and enough, enough of everything for everybody. Mr. Hart, I'd like to know, um, did you see the uh, movie it was a while ago, probably 10 years ago, The Wrestler with Mickey Rourke? And if you did, what did you think of that movie? It was very Hollywoodish because that's why I wanted. That's why I asked. I wanted to know. Get you know. Well, that's why I asked. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, no, it's okay. When they painted the picture, first of all, I thought Mickey Warren did a great job, but they painted the picture that everybody was broke, everybody was living yeah. in a trailer, everybody was divorced, nobody saw their kids. Oh my gosh! Before I left, I was I was ready to get a divorce. I was going, "What am I doing?" I'm <laughs> oh my gosh! I mean, it was crazy. I couldn't believe it. It was just like. And, and so many people believed it. I wish he got a did he, did he get an Academy Award for that? No, he got a, uh, he got a nomination. Oh, okay, nomination. Yeah, I, yeah. I know he did. But it was so Hollywoodish. I mean, they made it. But I realized in Hollywood, if you don't make something have that type ending, it's not going to draw big anyhow. But but they sure painted the scene like everybody was broke, living in a trailer, lost their dog, their cat, their wife, everybody. You know, it was like, what the heck's going on here? Hey, but here's a quick story on that. Greg Valentine, I didn't know what until later on, but Greg was coming through an airport in Miami before this was taking place. And Mickey Wart, York was in there doing a movie, right? And he saw Greg walking through, and he said Greg was just walking through very slow, carrying his briefcase. And he went over and talked to him and kind of picked his brain about everything. So they told Greg, said, look, we're going to have this movie coming out, and we want you to be part of this. He went, okay, okay. Greg waited, 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 a month, month went by, two months went by, he started seeing all the talking on the, on the, uh, all the advertisement about this new movie, about what's going on. Nobody ever called Greg on it whatsoever. The movie came out <laughs> and Greg never got a credit for talking about it, never got a part in the movie, never got anything in the movie. Greg goes, you know what? He goes, that was my movie. I'm the one that told them the whole story that they asked me about and picked my brain. He was never in it. Wow. Yeah, that's that's the shame of um, you know some some of these guys really. Um, I think and I think that's why uh, sometimes wrestlers can be so jaded because there's just uh, you know there's so many unfair things that happen, right, Jimmy? Well, you know what? It's like people always ask me, Joe, Jimmy, do you watch the new product? I do. I watch every week. Uh, like tonight, even I watch uh, the NXT tonight. I'll watch um, you know Friday night SmackDown, Raw on Monday night. And um, I told everybody four months ago, I said, you, oh, the hottest star in NXT, the hottest star is a girl called Bianca Belair. She's great. And I said, I wish I would take her and team her up with Naomi and let them be a tag team because she's great. You know, I don't know if that will ever happen or not, but at least they're starting to push, Naomi, uh, push uh, Bianca Belair now. Not because I said so, because I'm sure they realized how talented she was too. But there's a lot of people they got now that I really watch and see they're going to be something big in the future coming up. Jimmy, in terms of the pandemic, um, you know, it's affected business, certainly. Um, it's affected every industry. How has that affected you? In, I mean, you did a lot of traveling. You did a lot of conventions and autograph signings, and it's all shut down pretty much, right? How have you stayed busy during the pandemic? Well, you know, everybody wants to do these Zoom type things, which I don't do any of them. I haven't done one yet, you know, and, and the money's really good and they really want to do it. This is your first one. No, well, y'all's things different. Your thing's different. You know what I mean? 
but uh, I'm talking about Zoom where you go in, you lay your pictures out, and people buy their pictures. You bring memorabilia and do it. A lot of the guys do very. Tatanka called me this week about doing something in Houston, and I said, "Well, let me think about it," which I'm not going to do it. And so I have calls every week about doing it, and I'm not knocking it. I think it's great for you know for the people that are home that can't travel and can't do anything. But um, you know, I've been very fortunate. Um, I've always been working my whole life. You know. With, WWE, WCW, back to WWE, back to WCW, back to WWE. I feel like a pimple on prom night. It's hard to get rid of me, but, uh, but uh, it's been great. But uh, a couple of things have happened. I, a friend of mine had called me last week from uh, two weeks ago from Milwaukee and there was a cancellation with the rest were there. And he said, Jimmy, please, I've worked with him for Can you, I'll fly you in one day and get you back. I, I didn't want to be quarantined. So there was no quarantine there. So I went and did a little something for them back um, a few weeks ago. I was up in uh, Ocala, Florida, a little drive up there and back for this big outdoor thing, me and Tugboat and uh, 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 I think, uh, who at Roll? Uh, I can't, there's somebody else with us. I'll think of it in a minute, but uh, uh, Tony Atlas. Tony, how can I forget Tony? We were on the Legends house together. But uh, so we were up there together, so I was able to do that. And so, uh, you know, I've been working on a, a new thing that WWE's been doing. It's, it's a new uh, TV show coming out on A&E that we've been working on. So it's kept me still pretty busy, and I'm able to do what I love, which is watching wrestling every Monday, Friday, and Wednesday. So it's all good. I miss being with y'all, though. I, I mean, what a great crew you've had. I mean, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just telling you from my heart what I've done. You know, we did the Orlando thing. We've been to Vegas. You know, we, we would have been there again. But uh, you've got such a great staff. Everybody um, – the lady that set all this up for you is phenomenal. Yeah, I can't, I wouldn't mention her name, but I can't pronounce her name. Uh, it's Micah. <laughs> Micah. I, I, I've got this Southern out accent, but, but she's been working with Polly so much on everything. It's first time I had a chance to see her, but she does just must talk today. What a great job she did getting all this together. But all the people you had that we've got a chance to meet in, in Vegas and Orlando have been phenomenal. Yeah, I appreciate that. That's um, the truth, though. I mean, it really is. And we love you. You're like an extension of our team now. So uh, we, we always appreciate having you. And um, I want to, we have a few more minutes. Does anybody else on the telesystem team or Tyler, go ahead. I see you raising your hand. Yeah, Mr. Hart, I do have a question and this may be uh, some inside, some insider trading information, but how do you guys uh, determine who wins the belts? Well, you know, back in our era, I don't know how they do it now, but back in our era in Memphis, back in the day, Usually, you got to have a good guy versus a bad guy. And if you can get a bad guy where people can chase that belt for it and draw money, we back in our era, back in Memphis, we always looked and see who, who's drawing the money. Now, I'm telling you what Jimmy Hart would do if I had a territory, okay? This is if, this is an if, okay, if I had a territory. What I would do, I'd go in. Everybody that I've got on my roster that I'm pushing, and, and you got to give them a good push. You know what I mean? You can't just have one match every two months, but a good push. I'd put merchandise on them. I'm going to look at my table and see who is selling the most merchandise, okay? Because that's something you can't make people buy is the merchandise. You can advertise it all you want, but you know somebody who's really over, people are going to buy their merch action figures, T-shirts, or whatever else. So, you know, if they're buying that, then they, that means the people love them enough to to watch him every week and do that. That'd be my way of doing it. But I remember something Vince McMahon told me one time when I was in Poughkeepsie, New York. Hulk was the biggest name we had back then, back in our era before The Rock and Stone Cold and John Cena and all those guys came in. 
And Hunk was really the one that was really drawing the crowds and had a great underneath card. You know, we had everybody underneath too, Piper and everybody else too, but he was the top baby face. He was the top man selling tons of merchandise. And I remember Vince told me this. He goes, you know, Jimmy, I'm looking for my next attraction. Somebody bigger than life that can walk through any airport in the world. And even a casual wrestling fan will go, oh my God, look who it is. Casual now that barely watches. Then I can take them put them on the Today Show, the Tonight Show, and they can hold their own with a host about any subjects they want to talk about and not embarrass the company. Then I can take them, give them a push for about five or six months on TV, and they'll make me a million dollars in merchandise. And I've always thought about what he said to me about that. And, th and that's how I really believe in my heart how everything is really done. You know, back in our era, that's the way it was done too, you know, um, and everything else. But uh, it's just, you know, it's funny. You, some, some people have that it factor. The Rock had the it factor. Stone Cold had the it factor. Uh, John Cena, the it factor. I mean, just, I mean, a lot of people have it. You know, Shawn Michaels was great. Undertaker, oh my, what a great character, Undertaker. You know, by the way, on this pay-per-view coming up Sunday, uh, it's supposed to be his last match, you know. But, I mean, what a great draw and what a great run for The Undertaker. I loved his manager, Paul Barrow. We were great friends. I love Paul. But, um, but what a great combination they were. And the list goes on. I believe it's uh, it just, there's just so many of them out there. Uh, Triple H, look what Triple H has done. Think about him working in the wrestling every night, working in the office every day, trying to run a, uh, put a, a, a place together called the NXT. So think about that all the time. And, and Stephanie, I love, Stephanie reminds me of, you know, has anybody ever watched King of Queens? Seen it. That's a show with Kevin yeah, James. Kevin James King of and, yep. Oh, Stephanie reminds me of that Lee Remick, the facial expressions, everything, the way they talk. If, if I had a territory, I'd let everybody watch that show for six months because Kevin James and Lee, they have the best action facial features the way they talk the way they use their hands and movements and stephanie always reminded me of her because stephanie has so good facial expressions and the way she did uh, you know great in the ring too but still and for her being a mom and and trying to keep a family going and then working her you know triple h working 24 7 on everything they do and the charities and everything my hat's off to them it's just unbelievable i've been so blessed to be in this great I call it a sport or entertainment or whatever everybody wants to call it. My whole life I've been, you know, I had a great little run with music with Dick Clark and them, and then was able to do some wrestling theme songs with Sexy Boy Shawn Michaels, the Road Warriors, the Heart Foundation, just to mention a few. So, uh, you know, like I said, I've been blessed. Yeah. Um, hey, Jimmy. Go ahead. Oh, I think I heard a question. Just a quick question. Um, oh, I love the statue. <laughs> <laughs> Um, what, um, what, I guess, what would you say was the best city for the fans and the worst city for fans? Well, there's never really been a bad city for the fans, except for people throwing stuff, which was the Cow Palace in San Francisco. Let me tell you what, on the way to the ring, if you made it to the ring without gum in your hair, beer all over your outfits, um, uh, you know, popcorn and your shoe. I mean, just, I mean, that place was the roughest town ever, but, but, but we loved it because we appreciated it because they hated us. If you're a bad guy, you know what I mean? If you're a heel. And so my hat's off to them. It was a rough city. Um, some of the greatest places, the Philadelphia Spectrum, 
The Boston Garden was great. I mean, they were all rough places, but they were great. Uh, Madison Square Garden. Uh, there's just been so many places, you know, like that we went to major cities that we frequent regularly that were just so great to us, whether they threw stuff on us or whether they just booed us or cheered us. It was great. Jimmy, somebody asked in the chat whether or not you had the megaphone. You know what? I took the megaphone to the cleaners today <laughs> to make sure I could get it washed and clean because you never know when I might have to use it. <laughs> there you go. All right. The mouth of the South, Jimmy Hart. Jimmy, any, um, just in closing, um, this is a group of professionals and everybody is, is focused on success, whether it's for their self or their business, probably a combination of both. What's, uh, what's a piece of advice? You've been um, just extremely successful for, you know, over 50 years. What's the piece of advice that you could give to everybody in closing? Before you do anything in life, if there's one thing that you would say to yourself, I mean, this before you get married, before you have kids, before you drive a car too fast, before you drive drinking, before you make any kind of move, whether it's buying a house, anything, watch the consequences. If you always, I've, I've, I wish I'd learned that when I was 15 years old, but watch the consequences. Watch the consequences. But if you learn that before you do anything, and think about the positive and negative on everything that you do. I think that would really help. I know it's, it's helped me over my, you know, latter part of my years and everything else. But uh, that's what I always kind of, you know, and, you know, trust your gut feeling on something, you know, but, you know, life is fragile, you know, with all the, everything that's happening now and everything else too. And it's just so fragile and everything and everybody's tempers and patience are kind of running thin. So the other day somebody blew a horn at me. I wasn't going to blow back. I wasn't going to do anything because you never know what might happen. So what's the consequence? Yeah. So I didn't blow. So, you know, continued success on everything you do. Big thank you to uh, WWE Hall of Famer, uh, my friend, the mouth of the South, Jimmy Hart. And that's a wrap. We hope you enjoyed WWE Hall of Famer, the mouth of the South, Jimmy Hart, on this very special VOC Nation broadcast as we head in to the Thanksgiving season. We're thankful for all of you, and we hope that you like and subscribe. Have a good Thanksgiving, everybody. This is Matt Hardy, and you are listening to the VOC Nation. Right here is the future of wrestling.